This is Marvel 616 Politics, Episode 9, with Andy Kirby and Jared Mayo. Survivor Night. That's pretty darn exciting. Oh, ex- extremely exciting. Where are they this year? Uh, Samoa. Samoa? Where, where is that? Samoan Island. Samoa's uh, on an island? In, uh, yeah, it's somewhere in the Pacific. <laughs> that giant ocean somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> somewhere over there. <laughs> What's with you, man? Nothing much, man. This uh, it's been crazy. We we did the Christmas play last uh, week on Sunday, and it turned out okay. But after that, I think my body was finally like, okay, you can you can get sick now. You are okay to get sick, and so I'm recovering yeah. from that. And today I'm feeling the best I have in a while. So if I start coughing yeah. like a crazy person, that's why. <laughs> man, so you just finally your body just couldn't do it anymore. Uh, yeah, my body was just like, okay, well, that's it. Thanks for playing. (laughs) So how was your, what was your, what were your meetings about? Oh, on how to be a better supervisor and discipline people. Oh, hey, all right. I have so much work to do, though, because I, all last week I read comic books all week. (laughs) So I didn't get my work done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so now I'm really behind, and I didn't want to go to this training. <laughs> you were not supposed to read comic books instead of doing your job. <laughs> That's not what this is about. Once you pick up one issue, you just can't put it down. That's true. What you been reading lately? Uh, well, I caught up on Dark Avengers. That's what I was working on. Ooh, a very good series, if I do say so myself. Yeah. For real, I mean, if this is going to be the positive episode, Dark Avengers is where it is. <laughs> All right, well, good. All right, that's a good segue. This is the Think Positive episode, or Be Positive, or Think Positively. I'm I'm not sure which, but the, the point is, last episode, we were pretty down on a lot of things, The le- not the least of which uh, Black Panther, if you if you listen to the whole <laughs> final 20 minutes of our episode. So, you know, uh, Jared and I got to talking, and we were like, all right, we have to be all positive, can't say anything bad about anything this episode. So episode nine is sort of a special episode. We're kind of trailing away. We're not going to have State of the Union. We're not going to have current events. What we're going to do is we've prepared each, uh, a few questions for each other, and um, we're going to bounce them off of each other and see if we can come up with the best of the best in the Marvel 616. Uh, before we start that, our contact information, marvel616politics at gmail.com. Email us. Uh, visit our website where, you can, where the podcasts are hosted at marvel616politics.com. On Facebook, Jared, take it away. we got a new Facebook page. We do. Started up just about uh, two weeks ago. It's uh, when you go to Facebook, do a search for Marvel Six One Six Politics, and we'll show up. If we get a hundred fans, we get our own uh, web address. So we're looking to add as many fans as we can. So check us out. And we've got some discussions going on about uh, the X Men movie and Siege. We got some picks up. So definitely check us out. Yeah, it's looking really good. You're doing you're doing a, a fantastic job with that. And I saw I, actually we have we already have what 33 fans already, and we haven't even announced it yet. Yeah, I know. That was awesome. That is, I I'm imp- I'm impressed. I'm impressed. But then again, you know, it doesn't take a lot of high numbers to impress me. So that's good. Well, I see <laughs> it's 38 people more than we had before we had a Facebook page, right? That is exactly correct. <laughs> Um, let's see. On Twitter, you can follow us at 616Politics. And our voicemail? Uh, 616-755-TINA. Yes. Our t- and you know what? I think I'm going to miss Tina this episode. I haven't made any provisions to have her in there, but uh, I'm really going to miss her. Not a, not a whole lot of Tina this time around. I hope she had a good birthday. How was her 70th? Have you heard? 
Well, uh, one of the fans on the Tina Turner fan club list got invited to the party. And so he went to the party, the private party, and then he got online and said, a private party is a private party is a private party. And he won't tell us anything about it. So he's in trouble. We're all pretty much not liking him right now. That's ridiculous. Shame on him. That's what I say. Yeah, more than shame, I say stone him. I say just put him up against the wall and just let us hurl like maybe some awful Ike and Tina CDs at him or something. But holy cow! Holy cow! Wait, mean. that's ridiculous. That's not positive at all. Oh, sorry. Um, but the thing is, it was really cool because he was invited. That's pretty awesome. That is awesome! Wow! Wow! Think of that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got an email from one of Tina's dancers this week, which was pretty sweet. Are you serious? Directly to you? Yeah, because I emailed her and I told her I wanted to start a fan page for her. And she emailed me back and said that she's a really private person. She doesn't want to do one right now, but when she changes her mind, I can be the administrator. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So what is this this young lady's name? Her name is Jenaba. Jenaba? Jenaba, with a D. with (laughs) With a B, like B for boy, right? D for dog. Oh, Jenna Duh. No, it's it's Jenaba, but the D is at the beginning of her name, and it's silent. What? It's DJ E N A B A. DJ, you got it. Jenaba. Well, that Jenaba. That's DJ E N E B A. You know what? There's only a few things that she could do for a living, and, and dancing for Tina Turner is probably one of them. <laughs> She's pretty talented. She's awesome. Wow, I didn't know you were. If you're listening, Jenaba. <laughs> Be a fan of our page. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and lastly, we'll say that um, go to the iTunes uh, webpage and, and search for um, the, our, our website or our, our podcast, Marvel Six One Six Politics, uh, which you've probably already done if you're listening. And write us a quick review and, and, and rate us so that other other fans can come in and see um, how we're doing. All right, sir. Should we get right to it? I think we should. All right. Now, I've listed, I've, I've prepared ten questions here specifically for you, tailored to your likes and dislikes. Some of mine, some of my likes and dislikes may have uh, influenced them a little bit. I'm not sure. But have you also prepared ten or a few? I have, I have eight questions. Okay. That sounds good. I don't know how many we're going to get to, but... What's going to happen here is I will ask you the first one, and then you'll answer, and then I may respond or, you know, rebuttal, and then uh, we'll, we'll just finish that one out until it naturally goes out, and then we'll go on to the next one you'll ask me. All right. That sounds great. All right. Awesome. Question number one, Jared Mayo, what is your favorite thing about Clayton Crane's art in uh, the current run of X-Force? Mm, the current thing, I would say probably how he draws... Uh, the females. I think he has a pretty good grasp on the females, and that was something that you had picked up on an earlier episode when we were talking about his art. Is that you? Th- I think it was a picture of uh, Boomer or Domino, and you just said that that art was just like she looked realistic. You know what? I'm thinking you're talking about Choi and not Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, edit that out, right? <laughs> if, you, if you remember, uh, Clayton Crane, I talked about um, the the final, the next issue panel of this past one where um, we got the two Morlocks in the water and the water looks realistic. But I said the two girls, Domino and X-23, do not look as good. But that was last episode, so I'm, I'm allowed to say that. So... That's the art I'm talking about. You got some in front of you? Yeah, I've got the latest epis- the latest issue. Uh, well, no, I guess I have issue 21. Yeah, that's yeah. Issue huh. 21. Was there an ep- was there an episode where we were talking about where you said that Domino looked real? Um, yes, but that was I think that was Mike Choi's art, and because they've been uh, Clayton Crane and Mike Choi have been switching off on this book. Okay. All right. Well, sorry about that. Can we cut that out? <laughs> <laughs> we we could. If you go back to issue, um, let's see here, issue nine, if you have that in front of you, that's some of Mike Choi's art. 
And you're asking me about Clayton Crane, though. Yeah, because I'm asking you because you didn't like it last time, and so I'm trying to get you to get the 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 best or what is what is the redeeming factor for the art here about that you like. Okay. All right. All right. So do you want to just start again? <laughs> no, that was a that was a trial question. It's my question. That was that was done. <laughs> All right, sir. Hit me with your first question. All right, Mr. Andy, tell me, what do you like about Incredible Hercules? Oh, I knew this was coming. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Greg Pak, who writes Incredible Hercules, even though I do not care about the story, the story is very tightly written uh, within his own universe that he's created. So... The things that he's done, and, and he switched off for a while every issue. Every other issue was Amadeus Cho, and then Hercules, and then Amadeus, and then Hercules, back and forth. And um, I thought it got off to a slow start a little bit, but what I like about it is it's bringing in a lot of background within the pantheon of the gods. He's tying it into some of the lesser books, which is good for sales and good you know, to make the other books interesting, like Agents of Atlas, and then um, you got... A lot. He's he's pulling in some Asgard and, and just the uh, how these deities deal with each other. Because you know we see Thor, we see um, Loki, but we don't know how they deal with Ares and you know Hercules. And it's two different ends of the spectrum. So I think it's good. He's got a lot of um, history. He's got a lot of mythology back behind his book. Um, he's he's writing almost a, a comic book, but he's 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 also written behind the scenes a book about you know what makes a hero and what makes a god and what are the definitions of these things and then the trials that they have to face and how the reader pulls for them and everything. So I think that he's very talented in that respect. It's just that the characters. Well, I'm not gonna say that. I'm just, I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna leave it at that. Be positive. Awesome. That sounds good, man. All right. <laughs> Did you have anything to add? No, because, I mean, just a really good friend of mine has not recommended the book, so I've not read any of the issues, um, you know, so that's why. So this really good friend of yours who has not recommended the book, he's a pretty positive guy or a negative guy? No, he's typically positive, except when talking about Hercules or Black Panther, usually. Well, see, I... So I've just kind of strayed away. <laughs> I can't stand that type of person. (laughs) Meanwhile, in another part of town... Can you say anything good about the Black Panther book? Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Marvel's main woman is in that issue about maybe two panels every every issue. That's pretty cool. Um, When we're talking about positive things with Black Panther, you got Storm. You couldn't ask for a better character than Storm. That's so true. Anytime I can get a storm fix, even if it's badly written, I guess I'm still happy. And storm is in Black Panther, so that makes me happy. Um, got some foreshadowing about the upcoming Doom War, and hopefully that will bring uh, Doctor Doom back to like Marvel's number one man. And uh, so yeah, so, so there's some good things that are going to be happening in Black Panther. I can definitely see some positives. So you you kind of see. You see Doctor Doom as a, as a driving force in the Marvel Universe, but somewhat underused recently? Well, I think he's starting to come back to where he was. You know, he used to be the man, and then he kind of took a back seat for a little while, but now with the Cabal, uh, Siege, Doom War, uh, I think he's just coming back to, to put Norman in his place and, and retake as uh, Marvel's number one villain. Because right now, Norman's doing it. Hmm. All right, all right, good. I'm very. I, I have to really yeah, think, think through. I have to really think through what you're saying here because I don't want to say anything negative. So it, this will be sad if this podcast is super short because we took all the negative stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sir. That sounds good. Your question. Tell me what you like about Simone Bianchi's art. Simo- oh yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. I can do this. Let's take. He was on Astonishing X-Men recently, is that correct? He was. Okay. Astonishing X-Men. Let's uh let's pull up some of these covers here. 
I'm looking at Astonishing X-Men number 25 at the full page cover here. He definitely has attention to detail. He, he does that well. He has his own style. He says, you know what, realistically, what are these people going to look like costume-wise, you know, and how they portray themselves? Not necessarily, you know, how they look in their face and, and human qualities. Um, I think he goes for almost the, the perfection on that. So he mixes a, a good, uh, he has a good mix of realism and how these people will naturally move and how fabric and, and, and their surroundings naturally move. Like I'm looking at this cover right now and Scott's uh, sewn on patch, the X up in the upper left hand corner here, it's attached to the uniform but it's like it's it's stitched because it's pulling the other cloth around it. So like when he's turning and it's pulling the fabric and so the fabric's stretching, we see these pull marks and we see these stretch marks on the fabric right around the patch, which is super realistic. I mean, that's what you're going to see. So his attention to detail on that is fantastic. And his um, his perfection of how the characters he imagines them to look in the best of circumstances is also good. And how he melds the two his work is his work is 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 nice. You know, I mean, sometimes you read comic books to get the, the comic book feel and escape the world, but sometimes you read them so that you can see and kind of relate to how these things are going. And like I said, going through this, you see the cobblestone, you see just the clothing and how it it, it bunches and gathers at certain spaces, and ah, it, it's really quite interesting. I, I could follow you on that one. Big attention to detail, very realistic. I got gotcha. you. All right, good, good. Whew, <laughs> that, was, that was a tough one. All right, tell me the best thing about Dark Reign the List, X-Men. Oh, man, you're getting close to one of my issues, one of my questions. <laughs> um, I would say probably the best part about that was the reintroduction of Marina, who was Namor's wife for so long. She'd kind of been off the radar for a long time, and she was, you know, at best a C character. She was just, you know, wasn't hugely popular. But, but uh, so she hadn't been seen for a long time, and then for her to be brought back and for Norman to use her um, as a huge villain against Namor, and then um, then for Namor to then take her and slap her into their compound and, and just show exactly what he, you know, if he's willing to do that for, on his wife, what is he willing to do to Norman? Uh, that was pretty cool to just show you how serious Namor is and, and uh, that he's dedicated somewhat to the cause, I guess, but that he's definitely out of the, the cabal and he's ready to take uh, Norman Osborn on head first. I would say that was probably the best part of X-Men The List. I, I would have to I, I have to agree with you on that. I'm, what was her name, Namora? No. I thought it was... Marina. Yes, Marina. You're right. You're right. Nemora is his cousin. All right. So Marina, I, I'm gonna have to go back and look at that because I I didn't know. But maybe do you think that they purposely took her off the table, or do you think they just used her character? Like, is it important that she's now gone because of um, Emma Frost and Namor's relationship, or do you think that they I just really said, okay, we need a character that matters to him? That makes sense, though. But no, I didn't. I hadn't thought it, looked at it from that perspective. I just thought it was uh, a plot device to show how much Namor was against Norman and what he's willing to do. But it could be could be your idea too. Yes, I don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> <laughs> do you think he's going to stay? I mean, because the whole book was centered around him, uh, and it was supposed to be Dark Reign, the List X Men. Do you think we're going to see him stay, or are we going to see him, you know, go off and do his own thing? Is he going to stay with the X-Men? so much better as a solo character, you know? Namor is a solo guy. He's not much of a team player. The biggest team he's been on is the Defenders, and that's just a bunch of people that are best as solo characters. So I don't know, though. I, my personal opinion, not negative nor positive, just neutral, is that he does work solo much better. And uh, even though he is Marvel's first mutant, it might be better just to see him back... Uh, in books like Fantastic Four and stuff like that. Not maybe so much as an X-Men, as that book is awfully crowded right now. 
What do you think? Well, I think I, I, I tend to agree with you um, that he is better as a solo character, but it might give us some stories if he's a, he's a good solo character and thrust into a, a group dynamic. So you have stories there. It's not like they couldn't be told. It's just that they're not positive stories. They're, they're stories of that struggle between him and his desire to be solo and be royal and, and wear the crown, and yet he has to interact. Now, the only problem with that is what we see. You said it was a crowded book, and it certainly is, because now we have to deal with um, Charles Xavier and now Magneto and uh, a lot of other people who are coming back and making an appearance here or who are going to be mainstays. So it would be interesting to see the dynamic between Scott and Namor, but I can't imagine having a book where Namor is going to, you know, stand up to Magneto or stand up to Xavier and that. I don't know. That might be really inter interesting to see, though. Yeah, I mean, he's done it before, so probably do it again. But yeah, that, that's, that's another good aspect that you bring up is these four people that want to lead Earth in their own way, Magneto, Professor, Cyclops, and Namor, all sharing a 12 by 12 island with each other. That could present some good stories. Yeah, I would think so. If they could get the humans off their back for a while, or Norman. Yeah. But that'd be interesting to see. You know, I mean, I never thought about it, but Magneto was not in the Cabal, right? So no, he, he, they wanted him to be in the Cabal, but they replaced him with Emma Frost. Did they offer him a spot? No, the the writer. Was that Bendis? Oh. That came up with the Cabal? Yeah. He, he originally asked for Magneto, uh, but Casada said that there are other plans for Magneto, so that's why you put Emma Frost in instead. I did not know that. All right, your question. Why don't you tell me who your favorite new Hulk creation would be and why? Oh, okay, all right, all right. All right, let's listen. We got, um, we got Red Hulk, Red She-Hulk. We got the new She-Hulk. Let's throw Thunder in there. Um, we also have Son of Hulk, which is Scar. We have Abomination, right? Did I miss anybody? The original abomination or the blue abomination? The blue, A-bomb, as they call it. A-bomb, okay. All right, so that's six six people. <laughs> Out of those six, the best new one is... And actually, didn't we have Greyhawk back for a while, too? Did he? When, when, when did he come back? I think we had him for a couple issues from uh, issue uh, Hulk issue eight and nine, maybe. That's too far back, Andy. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm right. Joe, fix it. If that's one you want. <laughs> issue eight. All right. Go, Andy. That's impressive. All right. All right. I'm gonna have to say that the best one is Red Hulk. Okay. And i got to be positive. It pains me to say this, but i got to be positive. Um, he is – there's a mystery behind him. There's a mystery behind some of the other ones as well, but there's a mystery behind him. But not only that, there's an agenda that we don't really know yet. We just saw in, in uh, Fall of the Hulk's Alpha that the idea behind him is there is another evil cabal type thing of lesser villains who is going to use – the Red Hulk in a, in a certain way, and we don't really know exactly what that is yet. So um, it is part of a bigger group. It kind of came out of nowhere, but um, we're going to see who the Red Hulk is and how he fits into this whole thing. Um, Thundra and the new She-Hulk and and a a a bomb and the Red She-Hulk are all good characters. Don't get me wrong, but. <laughs> But the the mystery behind the Red Hulk actually is better. I mean, and the the mystery behind the Red She Hulk is sort of like it's sort of patterned around it, it. It's supposed to take two things and mix them into one. You have She Hulk who has no mystery, but now you're going to have Red She Hulk who does have a little bit of mystery in that. I don't know. It it'll work all work its its way out. And Scar, I don't know. I I have to get used to him a little bit. And he has a lot of potential, especially with the Hulk gone currently. Uh, but I am interested to see him take on the Hulk and what's going to happen. So yeah, short answer yeah. to that, Red I Hulk. Agree. That's cool. I think you're exactly right. I think that's why he appeals to a lot of people is because there's these other Hulks just kind of showed up, whereas Red Hulk also just showed up. But he seemed, you're right, he just has this agenda. 
he's not just another version of a dumb Green Hulk. He actually has a brain. Um, he, you know, he's just done a whole lot of stuff already, as opposed to just here we're going to throw the Red Hulk in and see if he sticks. He really has something behind him. I tell you what, you're, you're better at this positive thing than I am. <laughs> well, I'm a teacher. I'm supposed <laughs> to always be positive. <laughs> All right, well, well done. All right, your question, sir, uh, or my question for you. Favorite thing about Matt Fraction's Uncanny X-Men run? And I was going to, I have to tell you this, I was going to say Brubaker's run. And I was going to say the rise and fall of the Shear Empire. But, you know, that's in the past. Let's think positive. Let's think to the future. Favorite thing about Matt Fraction's run currently? All right. Favorite thing about Matt's current run uh, would have to be that Storm has been able to appear in a couple panels in the past 12 issues. Been pretty exciting. They've been sparse. They've been uh, maybe once every four issues, but she was there. And that's something I've got to commend him on um, because I don't really care for much of his things. But since we are keeping this positive, I mean, Storm was in, um, she had this real little shot, like headshot in Uncanny 515. And then during the Sisterhood arc, she flew upstairs and broke open a window. And so that was really cool. So that's what I'm going to go with. Storm was able to appear. (laughs) You... You are not participating in the spirit of this little exercise <laughs> with you and your sarcasm. I am, though. <laughs> all right, all right. Good enough, I guess. What about you? Uh, I'm going to have to say I mean, there... I've definitely liked how... I've definitely liked how reactionary he is. And what I mean is not in, not in a negative sense reactionary as he doesn't know where he's going on his own. All right, the short of it is I like how he... He uh, he makes his characters interplay and react to what's going on in the mainstream Marvel. He does a good job. How so? <laughs> well, I explain the whole thing. But I'll explain it again for you. All right. In a way that Oz did, it, are, did you record it? I mean, is it already recorded with what you said? Yeah, it is already recorded. With what I, but I can explain it to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, here's what I mean. I said that he was reactionary, but not reactionary in a bad way, reactionary in a good way, meaning that whatever its circumstances and situations are going on in the, the exterior, uh, 616, uh, excluding the, the X-Universe, we see his X-characters in Uncanny react in a very realistic way. And that's, I think that helps you, that can help you write your stories. Like if you say... Well, I have these stories all laid out for the next three years, and something big happens in the Marvel Universe. Well, then you can't really do that. You know, you have a hard time getting that, fitting all that in, and then still making it fit into context of the, of the 616. So, what he does, and which I think Bendis does as well, is saying, okay, this is going on. How does that affect my guys and what we're, what, where we're trying to go? Because he's making it's more like real life, really. When Bendis was talking about his secret invasion, when House of M, ha- M happened, ha- he said, how did that, how did that uh, change your plans for secret invasion? He said, it didn't really change it. It just made me think, what would the scrolls do if all these people suddenly disappeared? It would make their job easier. So I think that's what he's doing with X-Men. He's saying, you know what, I want to get him on that island. I want to I put Scott in charge and have his own uh, view and his own ideology. How, can, how best can I do this? And he's saying, oh, well, I can use Osborne to push him in that direction. So I think he's doing a great job in that way. So, so you're going to say that you like that stuff over Storm's appearances? Well, I didn't want to copy you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good answer. Good positive answer. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to give our listeners, you know, a varying degree of answers. I think that's very respectful of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. <laughs> All right uh, your turn to ask me. My turn. Mighty Avengers is a very popular title right now. <laughs> what What would you say is probably the, the best thing happening over there? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you just say that Mighty Avengers is a very popular title? <laughs> it's in the top 50. Is it really? <laughs> okay. I'm not... 
good, good, awesome. Well done, Dan Slot. All right, what is your specific question about this book? I just, I just want to know what are. Tell me about some good things that are happening over there that you've really enjoyed. For the love, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, have folks. This could be a very, very short episode. <laughs> we could be ending very soon. It's all because of the questions we picked. <laughs> all right, let's see. Let's let's really take a look at this. All right, you're kind of bringing together the team a little bit more. You're you're bringing the B listers together in in a way that will help in this new hero age that we're fixing to start. And and sure, sure, Thor's not there, and Iron Man's not there, and Captain America's not there. But what Avengers book are they in? None, really. They're not in anyone's. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're seeing all these uh, sort of a mix of the old heroes from, you know, pre-Avengers Disassembled, and new heroes from the Initiative and the Young Avengers. And they're kind of, you know, melding together, forming a new team, kind of getting us used to what we should expect. They're, you know what's good about this book? It's a, it's a good adventure book, okay? It's off the beaten path. It's not, it's not necessarily in the mainstream 616, and so they have the freedom to do a story about the, you know, the Inhumans no-name guy who, you know, no one knew about and no one cared about. And they have the freedom to bring in Hercules and Amadeus Cho and and say that Hank Pym really is an awesome guy and the universe really likes him. And, you know, because because it's not necessarily 616 related. So they have that, and, they, you know, they're preserving those ideas. They're preserving Jarvis, and they're preserving the Avengers Mansion. And, you know, albeit it's in some interdimensional infinite mansion space, but they're also preserving the Scarlet Witch and the idea of that and her progeny and uh, it, it's a book of preservation to carry us over until the whole team comes together again and Dan Slott, he's doing, I mean you gotta hand it to the guy he's doing a, a bang up job trying to keep everything in order and say, or, and, and, and preserve what's going on in the true theme and sense of the Avengers while the whole rest of the 616 is going off crazy in, in, in weirdo land and doing their own thing. So really, I mean, I, you could argue that it might be the best book out there. Man, that was an excellent save. That was excellent. <laughs> if you could see me now, I'm doing the slow clap. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I will take that slow clap, sir. Thank you. <laughs> great. Really good. All right. Well, your question is uh, sort of similar. What is the best book out there now and why? And we're uh, can just the say best book out there now and why? Yeah. What's the best book out there now and why? The best book out there now and why is Dark Avengers, without a doubt, Dark Avengers is just tearing it up. Uh, it's got, like, the best characters because it's just a bunch of villains trying to parade around as good guys uh, led by the biggest bad guy in the Marvel Universe right now, um, the Green Goblin himself. You've got awesome character interplay uh, between one another from whatever's going on with the Sentry. Um, you know, Norman's trying to suppress it. Sentry seems to try to suppress it, but then Bob brings out the void but then part of void is over in Emma Frost and all that crazy stuff. You've got the scorpion masquerading as Venom, masquerading as Spider-Man with Norman dressed up as Iron Man. It, it's just, there's so many awesome things happening in Dark Avengers. I, it's, the, it's a book that I just I cannot put it down. Once I pick it up I just, that's why I didn't get any work done last week is I just read the whole series all at once last week uh, every day I just read as much as I could until I found some work I had to do like I said you know from the art to the play between each other uh, to bring back old characters like the Molecule Man it's awesome it's, I, it's a book that I think 10 years ago would not have been able to sell the bunch of you know some B-list villains dressed up as Marvel heroes character from the Thor universe that hadn't been seen for quite a while and uh, Grant Morrison's version of Captain Marvel, for Marvel to take this book, for Bendis to take this book, and just turn it into all, you know one of the number one books in comics right now is amazing. 
I, I can't find hardly anything I don't like about it. I have to agree with you. I think that I think that the book is fantastic, and it really lets your imagination fly because you know here's these, like you said, these bad guys who are, are parading as heroes, and not only that, but half of them want to be heroes, and the other half don't. So you got all that interesting. Yeah. And and the art on it is fantastic. It's Garney, right? I think it's Rob Garney, and he's ah oh, he's he's knocking them out of the park. And every time Spider-Man or uh, Venom, you know, strays from the the faux Spider-Man costume to all of a sudden you see his teeth, man, that is just the best, <laughs> isn't it? You're just like, oh man, he's gonna chew somebody up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's What's fantastic. actually uh, Diodato doing the art right now. Oh, that's right. That's right. Diodato. Yeah, Garney was on the Wolverine title. But it also it almost makes you, you know, you don't want Dark Reign to end because you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen to Dark Avengers. Uh, I hope that it's able to stick around. I'm just not sure how it's going to be able to function, but I definitely don't want it to end because I'm just really liking this book. Definite big A-plus for this one. Yeah, it is pretty fantastic. All right, man. I think it's your turn. Yep. And I pretty much destroyed all the hard questions, so we can go into some easy territory now. Oh, thank goodness. And we're going to stick with the Dark Avengers theme. All right, good. Um, I like that. Uh, there's so many awesome Dark Avengers, and you and I both agree that, you know, all of them are just fantastic. But if you had to think about one, who would you single out for being the the standout character, your favorite, uh, in that book? Okay, this is this will this is tough. This is tough. All right, I know not a whole lot of people are fans of the Century, and I know you're not a good fan, a big fan of the Century, because you think Superman is boring. <laughs> We're gonna keep it positive, right? Yellow's my favorite color, and he wears yellow. So that's awesome. <laughs> I'm tempted to say him, but yet at the same time, I love Venom, and he actually Bendis has made Mac Gargan a cool Venom. And before Bendis used him, he was not a cool Venom, okay? In the in what we saw in the Spider-Man title, New Ways to Die, not so hot. Not so hot. But, keeping it positive, we're talking about Dark Avengers. Now, Bullseye has been used throughout the Marvel Universe in his capacity as sort of his right-hand man. I mean, we know that the Sentry is... Osborne's right-hand man, but we see Bullseye in the position when things need to get done, when somebody needs to go after Deadpool, when somebody needs to torture somebody, when somebody needs to interrogate somebody, who does he call? He calls Bullseye, because he knows that the guy is so sadistic, and we saw that in the Thunderbolts, too, so it's a great carryover. Again, on the other hand, Ms. Marvel is fantastic, because she actually is liking the superhero thing, and I think her mind is changing. She was in Thunderbolts, you didn't want to mess with her because she would just mess you up. She was she's a psychiatrist that uh, has some mental powers and the Moonstone and everything. She had no regard for anybody else. But now we're starting to see a little bit of redemption and sort of the stuff that we should have saw in Thunderbolts. So that's interesting. No, Norvar. Novar. Novar is good because that guy he's just un. He's out of control, all right? He was out of control. Osborne said, hey, let's, you know, I'll give you a job. And there was a miscommunication there. There was a misunderstanding. Osborne just thought the guy was a villain. And he thought that he knew what was going on. But as soon, soon as he figured out what was going on, he was like, hold on. You guys, you guys are the bad guys. I don't want to be here. So I, I like that aspect, too. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great team. And then you got Dokken, which he's pretty cool intrinsically. Uh, but I'm going to have to say that my favorite is probably the Sentry because of the way he reacts to things. He's unsure, he has all this power, and he is only acting on what he's told. And as soon as his instructions uh, change or become unclear, he, he, he fumbles the whole thing. He doesn't know what to do. And I think that's yeah. great character development for him. Uh, I wish he would have his own book uh, because right now he has... He has the greatest character development um, potential right now because he's not perfect. He's not like Superman. He doesn't have um, everything figured out. And so I, I, I would have to go with him. Well, those are all very valid points, man. You backed it up very well. And what what do you say? Uh, I think hands down for me is Norman. He's just 
his character is so so far beyond the Green Goblin, even just from 10 years ago, 20 years ago. He is just, from so many aspects, he's touching every part of the Marvel Universe right now. Um, the voice has started. The voice of Green Goblin is starting to come back to him. Um, he's taken over Hammer Shield. Basically, you know, he's got the run of the country, um, as, and he can almost do what he pleases. He's got his hands in every little thing. He's a genius for taking these these villains of the Dark Avengers and the Dark X Men and turning it into a positive and trying to restore, you know, humanity's faith in superheroes all the while accomplishing his evil goals. It's just Green Goblin, Norman Osborn, is like the man of, from 2000 to 2010, he would be like the man of the century. Or the decade. That probably would be better. (laughs) (laughs) Either either way, either way, whatever. <laughs> I can de- I can definitely see where you're coming from. I was kind of excluding him. He's not my favorite, but I, I I do have to say he is a force to be reckoned with. All right, your question. Think positive, okay? <laughs> All right. All right. Brand new day. What is the best change that has taken place since Straczynski's run? Hmm. It's almost a low blow is what I want to say to you, but I won't. <laughs> um, let's go. Um, I guess I would say the best part of Brand New Day, people might not agree with me, but I would say it's a jackpot. I really like jackpot. I don't know why. She's not particularly, she doesn't have like particularly cool powers. She had that whole 70s bell bottoms outfit. I just, I don't know what it is, and I can't really put my finger on it, but when she appears, I just gravitated more towards reading about Jackpot and not really caring about what Spider-Man's doing. Uh, I think maybe she's just a good sidekick for him. So I guess I'm going to go with that. I like Jackpot. <laughs> now, okay, all right, I, I guess that's valid. You tend to have the, the strong, you like the stronger female characters. Do you know that Jackpot is coming back? Have you heard this? Yeah, I saw she's got some kind of new outfit or whatever. So now it's a different. That's all I, all I saw. It's a different person. It's a different character. It's the original jackpot, and then you know the other one. She, she gave her life up so that um, somebody else could take it because she did not want to be a superhero. But now she's oh, taking the mantle back up because Spider Man talked to her because the other one got killed. And then another thing is, you know, uh, Brian Reed I think was writing um, Secret Invasion Spider Man. And all it had to do was with Jackpot. It didn't have anything to do with Spider-Man for the most part. Two out of the three issues. Yeah, yeah. It was like her solo thing, but I didn't... I mean, i got to keep it positive. There were scrawls in that, and I like scrawls. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll see definitely what goes on with that. I, I was I was hoping that that was... No, actually, I, I'm, I'm glad it turned out that it wasn't Mary Jane. And so... Uh, yeah. We're going to have to see what happens with that. So that's probably the best change in Brand New Day since Straczynski's run, huh? Is the introduction of Jack I guess for me, because it was kind of like a new sidekick thing, because, how do I say this positively? Some of the newer villains didn't necessarily appeal to me. I see. So that's why I guess I I wouldn't go with that. And some of the storylines haven't necessarily appealed to me. Which isn't negative, it's just kind of in the middle. I see. So that's why I'm going to go with Jackpot. <laughs> so you wouldn't you wouldn't even say that Diablo did it for you? I would have to say Diablo definitely didn't do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> in the affirmative voice, I can, I can positively say that he did not. All right, good. All right, your question. Why did you think that? Is that yours and that's what you thought I was going to say? How can I say this in a positive way? I think there are plenty of very good things about the other villains in in Brand New Day. Okay. Not necessarily Diablo, but the other ones. So that so that would be your biggest good thing from Brand New Day. Is what? That's what I'm asking. Is that what you're saying? Is that the new villains? No, 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 no. You have to turn these questions on me, huh? Well, I know that Spider-Man is kind of your niche. X-Men's my niche, Spider-Man's your niche, and then we just deal with the rest of the Marvel Universe. So 
Yeah, I want to hear your answer on this one. Oh, man. I shouldn't have asked you. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, in another part of town... Uh, another reason I really liked Mark Millar would be uh, the Marvel Knights Spider-Man. I know he only got 12 issues, but I was kind of on the edge of my seat. I really didn't know what was going to happen with Aunt May. And then uh, the payoff there at the end with all the you know those 12 Spider-Man villains up against him, but then the X-Men and Avengers showed up. And I really enjoyed that, that storyline. Uh, I wasn't a huge uh, Ultimates person. And Old Man Logan, I've only hit up a couple of those issues. I haven't read all of them. So I would guess I would go with Civil War and then the Marvel Knights Spider-Man is why Mark Millar is awesome. Okay. All right. (laughs) Why do you think Mark Millar is awesome? Oh, come on now. Oh, he's... (laughs) He's very... Is it because he's Scottish? Yes, that is that's one reason. He's you know, he tries to come over to America and, and do these things and he has great aspirations and he seems like he really uh you know what? You know why he's awesome? I'll I'll give you a good reason. He does what if stories and he may you know, the execution might not fully be there, but the reason why it's fully not there is because he wants the reader to think if I weren't going to finish this story, what would you think about this? So even if he, <laughs> even if he doesn't finish the story properly, he, he really gives it to the reader and says, hey, I came up with this great idea. Let your mind wander. You finish the story and you see where it would go. So It's kind of like those choose-your-own-adventure books. Exactly. Who does not love to choose their own adventure? For real. I know. Exactly. So, you know, he says, what if the Venom symbiote was up for sale and Osborne had kidnapped Aunt May. What would you do? Oh, well, I mean, let me walk you through a couple ideas and you figure out the rest. What if Civil War, people weren't, they didn't like each other, the superheroes didn't like each other, and we had a clone robotic Thor. Well, here's some ideas that I came up with. You go ahead and, and <laughs> Drew Baker, walk me through the rest. <laughs> What if Wolverine got captured by the hand and was killed and brought back as their weapon and terrorized people for a few issues? It's a very cool idea. Why don't you come up with a good story for that? That You know, that could have been in honor of Chris Claremont. Because did you know that originally Chris Claremont had that story ready to go? And then he got in a, a disagreement with Jim Lee and Bob Harris over the direction of X-Men because that's what he wanted to do. They said no, and so he quit. And so Mark Millar resurrected that idea and took credit for himself. (laughs) You know what? I think almost probably all of his ideas have been an homage to one person or another. Yeah, so that was a a nice um, homage that netted him lots of money, so that was cool. Thanks. Thanks. That's all you can say. That's great. Thanks, Mark. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, You got one question left? Yeah, I think we'll just go with one more. All right. Merc with a Mouse is the second Deadpool title. Okay, all right. Along the lines of Web of Spider-Man being the second Spider-Man title, what what positive uh, connotations do you see being associated with Merc with a Mouse? What are some good things about that? Okay, all right. Let, let me just start out, first of all, saying it's brought in uh, other dimensions and other realities to the 616 timeline, which is good because we got the crossover with the zombie timeline. We have the, the head of the zombie guy. Yeah. So that's good. It brought back, you know, the the Deadpool that we that we did like. Um, you know, he had Bob, and now he, Bob of Hydra, and now he's got... Uh, bill of aim, right, or or something like that. <laughs> um, it has very gratuitous art that you you know you just sort of miss in the in the in the Deadpool title. I mean, you know, very buxom women who are extremely scantily clad in in a, in a very inappropriate way, <laughs> running around in the in the Savage Land. You know, we just don't get enough of that from, like, Dark Wolverine right. and everything else. So, You're right. Uh, 
you know, very solid storytelling as a backup title. A little bit more solid than its its third title, Deadpool Team Up. I I, okay. I can't come up with anything more positive than that. That's a, I, I don't think you can. It doesn't get better than that. Whew, that was that was rough. That was rough. <laughs> All right, last question. Why is Amadeus Cho that much more awesome when he's wearing the Ant Man helmet? What? Why is he what? Why is he that much more awesome when he's wearing the Ant Man helmet? Oh, well that's because everybody from, you know, uh the Marvel Divas and the Marvel models, they all know that the Ant Man helmet is the new fashion piece for two thousand ten. That is what's gonna be in. And he has already picked up on this fashion trend and has just run with it before everybody else has even been able to get their own version of the Ant-Man helmet. So I would say it's, he's so much cooler because he's just cutting edge and innovative. <laughs> what? I, somehow, somewhere along the way, we got away from positive and we got into sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think we tried as long as we could. <laughs> wow. You know what? I don't think this episode is going to be that much shorter, which is good. Because if you if you cut it in half and say, you know, half of it was sarcastic and half of it was good, then the sarcastic stuff is really what we would have fe- filled our time with uh, with the negative stuff. So it's a good 50-50, I'm thinking. Yeah, we did good job. <laughs> well, well done. Give yourself a hand. <laughs> All right. I'm going to do the slow clap again. Well, well done. Once again, uh, email us at marvel616politics at gmail.com. Go to our website, marvel616politics.com. At Twitter, at 616politics. And then Facebook and voicemail. It's all you. Marvel616politics. Look us up on Facebook. Become a fan. Interact with us. We've got some good discussions going on. Give us a call. If you call us, we're going to play it on the air for you. Our number is 616-755-TINA. That's 616-755-T-I-N-A. Give us a holler. (laughs) All right. And uh, we all hope that we hear more about Tina's uh, surprise private or private birthday party. And uh, until next time, make yours a Marvel 616 Politics. Pretty cool.